In those days, John the baptizer came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would prepare us to hear a word from you today. We ask that you would speak to us. For you have the words of life. Amen. Repent. Change your ways. Be baptized. That's the title of my sermon. But it's also the gist of the preaching of John the baptizer. Repent. Change your ways and be baptized. It doesn't seem like a very popular message, but people flocked to see John. Matthew 3, 5 says, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and the region all about the Jordan were going out to see him. And verse 7 tells us many of the Pharisees and Sadducees were coming to his baptism. John the baptizer was a celebrity before there was mass media. He was a religious star and he didn't even have a television program. The man himself was quite a sight. Matthew tells us John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Now what does that mean? To wear a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around your waist, is that good? Is that bad? What would queer eye for prophet guy say about this? I'm not really sure, but what I am sure of is that nowhere else in all of the New Testament is there any discussion of what people were wearing. It just never comes up. 
Somehow these people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit never mentioned that Jesus wore a double-breasted blue blazer to a wedding in Cana or that Mrs. Herod, the first lady, wore stiletto heels when visiting a disaster site. Somehow the Holy Spirit never seemed too interested in those kinds of things. With this one exception. God thought that it was important to point out that John the baptizer wore a garment of camel's hair and a belt of leather. And that's because what he was wearing was a sign. Two Old Testament passages make the link for us. First passage, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. These are the final two sentences in the Old Testament. The final prophecy before a 400-year silence, which will only be broken in Jesus' day. We read these words. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Ever since that prophecy, Jews have looked for Elijah to return because his return signals the coming of the day of the Lord because his return is a sign that the Messiah is just around the corner. Even today, faithful Jews will set a place for Elijah at their Passover tables, ready to show him hospitality should he want to show up and announce that the Messiah is on his way. Second passage, Second Kings 1, 7 and 8. Here we catch a snippet of dialogue between King Ahaziah of Samaria and a group of the king's messengers. We read, the king said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? The messengers answered him, he wore a garment of hair and a belt of leather around his waist. And the king said, It's Elijah, the Tishbite. So when John shows up out in the desert wearing a hair shirt and a belt of leather, this is a very uncommon garb, faithful Jews thought of Elijah. And everyone knew that the reappearance of Elijah would signal the announcement of the coming of the Messiah. For 400 years, the Jewish people had been in a kind of limbo. An uneasy time of waiting. And after their exile in Babylon, they were back in the land of Israel. But they didn't control their own country. Foreign pagan rulers ruled over them. And so they held out this hope that the Messiah would come, a descendant of King David, and that he would lead them to freedom and to self-rule under God's eternal law. Those 400 Years were also a time of uneasy silence as no prophet was in the land. That is, until John the Baptizer showed up out of the wilderness wearing a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. Advent is a four-week season of preparation. Preparation as we get ready for the coming of the Christmas feast. Preparation as we get ready for the second coming, for the return of Jesus. In our reading this morning from Isaiah, we 
heard the summon of preparation in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that Isaiah was talking about John the baptizer when he said those words. That John was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer preached a message of preparation. Preparation for the coming of the Lord. And you know what that message was? Repent. Change your ways. Be baptized. Repent because the Messiah is coming. Repent and get ready to meet your Redeemer. So how are we doing this second Sunday of Advent? Are we prepared? Are we prepared to see Jesus? It's only 15 days until Christmas and we've been busy getting ready. We've been busy buying presents and wrapping them. We've sent out our Christmas cards. We've made party plans. We've scheduled special family outings. We're getting ready for Christmas. But are we prepared to see Jesus? Stories about John the baptizer show up in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first century Roman Jewish historian Flavius Josephus also mentions John. John was a well-known figure. The fullest picture of John's preaching we find in our reading from the Gospel of Matthew this morning. And what we hear is this threefold message of preparation. Repent. Change your ways. Be baptized. There is an urgency to this message. The Messiah is coming and we need to get ready. Whether we want to think about it or not, every one of us has an imminent meeting scheduled with Jesus. Our days are numbered. It might happen when Jesus unexpectedly comes to us, or it could happen when we unexpectedly go to Him. We never know when the day of reckoning will be. Tomorrow is never guaranteed. And so there is no time like the present, like this Advent season of 2017 for us to think about that meeting with Jesus and to prepare for it. Repent. Change your ways and be baptized. It might seem weird That the very first word of John's preaching is repent. That might seem like a sour note on which to begin. After all, doesn't honey attract more than vinegar? John could have, for example, started with, The Lord loves the Israelites. Hosea 3.1 He could have started with God's promise, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29.13 He could have started with God's promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6 Those are all 100% true statements straight out of the pages of Scripture. But John's message of preparation begins with repent. And, curiously, that is also how 
Jesus's preaching begins. We hear a report of that in Matthew 4:17 where we read Jesus began to preach saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." The preaching of John and the preaching of Jesus were the same. It's a message that begins with the word repent And repent is a hard message because it says that what we are doing presently is not okay. It's a message that says that we are not all right. It's a message that says if we want to please God and live in his favor, then something is going to need to change. John doesn't mince words. He calls the religious people the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the Presbyterians and the Episcopalians, if you want. He calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them baby snakes. He tells them to stop bragging about their religious heritage. So what if you were born in the church? So what if you've been a member for a hundred years? If you don't produce fruit in keeping with repentance, God will cut you down and throw you into the fire. And apparently, according to John, things will only get worse when Messiah comes because Messiah will come with a winnowing fork and he will winnow the harvested grain and he will separate the wheat from the chaff and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So here we are on the second Sunday of Advent looking forward to Christmas and John the baptizer is preaching fire and brimstone. John's message is... If we want to get ready to meet Jesus, we have to repent. But here's the rub. We, I, really hate to admit that I need to repent. I mean, except in the most general and abstract way. I'm comfortable saying, oh, no one is perfect. I'm comfortable admitting, you know, everyone is a sinner. But if we get more specific than that then we get very uncomfortable and we become evasive. It's really hard for us to admit our own moral failings. And when our failures stare us in the face, we can be tremendously inventive, shifting blame and making excuses. Three months ago, the name Harvey Weinstein was known only to people in the movie industry. But in October, the New York Times newspaper and the New Yorker magazine reported that Weinstein had been accused by more than a dozen women of sexual harassment and sexual assault. And that might have been the end of the story. Just another rich, loudmouth, narcissistic New Yorker abusing his wealth and power to exploit people. But then... Alyssa Milano, an actress I had never heard of before, began the hashtag MeToo campaign on social media. And millions of women began to share that they too had been victims of sexual harassment and sexual assault. It was an electrifying wake-up call for middle America that our mothers and our wives and our sisters and our sweethearts have had to put up with an awful lot of grief at the hands of men. 
And then began a cascade of accusations and revelations and firings of powerful men. Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose, Louis C.K., Al Franken, even Garrison Keillor. The list will grow longer, of course. Last week, Time Magazine named the Silence Breakers, these women who spoke up about past sexual harassment and sexual assault, as the 2017 Person of the Year. It's hard to guess what the long-term consequences of all of this will be, but in the short term, the American public is getting to listen to a lot of public apologies from some very powerful people, and these apologies are very revealing. Some men shift the blame to circumstances beyond their control. Harvey Weinstein, in his apology, blamed the fact that he grew up in the 1960s and 1970s. Some men point to the misdeeds of other men. Al Franken, in his apology, felt the need to mention Donald Trump. And some men split hairs. Charlie Rose, in his apology, says, quote, I do not believe that all of these allegations are accurate. Why is it so hard to say, I'm sorry? Why is it so hard to say I messed up? Why is it so hard to say I'm an abusive jerk? Repent means we own up to our misdeeds. Repent means that we diagnose our moral failings. Repent means no excuses. Now that might seem like a hard message. But here's why repenting is so important. Because only if we admit that we have a problem, only if we are able to diagnose what ails us, only then can healing begin. Some people are afraid to go to the doctor because they're afraid of what they might hear. Maybe they have cancer in their body and maybe they don't want to hear about that. But there is no treatment until there's a diagnosis. And there's no hope until there's treatment. Our sins are awful. They damage ourselves. They damage other people. We insult the majesty and the justice of God. Admitting our sins is mortifying. Admitting our sins without making lame excuses is mortifying. But God... God is bigger than all of our sins, and it is his desire to heal us of that sin. And the first step is telling the truth. Repent. That's part one of John's three-part plan for being prepared to meet Jesus. The second thing that John the baptizer tells the crowds of people who come out to see him in the wilderness is, change your ways. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance is what John says. By fruit, John means our attitudes and our actions. Let's say that we've taken the first step. Let's say that we've told the truth and that we've repented. We've honestly admitted our failures and our sins. That step alone won't count for much if we keep going on living the way way that we've always lived. We need to change our ways. We need to bear a different kind of fruit... Then we've born in the past. 
In several places in scripture, the apostle Paul distinguishes two kinds of fruit. There's the fruit that we bear before we repent and are changed, and the fruit that we bear after we repent and are changed. Here's what Paul says about the before condition in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Quote, The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Paul has another list of fruits that we produce before we repent and change. There he writes, The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. These two lists of the kinds of fruit that God will cut down and throw into the fire, these lists are representative. They are not exhaustive. There certainly are other ways to sin beside the ones that Paul mentions here in Galatians and 1 Corinthians. But let's not dwell on the bad fruit. We all know about that stuff and we can invent other things to add to that list. They are familiar to us. Let's instead talk about the good fruit. In the 1 Corinthians passage, Paul turns the corner from his list of unrighteous behavior to say this of the people that he's writing to at the church at Corinth. Quote, and such were some of you. In other words, some of the Christians that Paul is writing to used to do those things. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, end quote. Now let's quickly jump back to our Galatians passage where we learn about the consequences of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Old fruit, new fruit. Bad fruit, good fruit. Change your ways, Paul says. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance because every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Change your ways. That's part two of John's three-part plan for being prepared to meet Jesus. And finally, be baptized. Now, there's nothing magical about baptism, but John's baptism and Jesus' baptism were public signs of conversion. They were public testimonies of repentance. When one converts and becomes a Jew, one step is a ritual dunk in a stream of flowing water. Stagnant water is not permitted. These days, that dunk happens in something called a mikvah. When John the baptizer preached, 
his audience was Jewish. And by calling them to repentance and telling them to take a dunk in the flowing waters of the Jordan River, he was putting them through the ceremony that marked the conversion of a non-Jew to Judaism. It's as if John were to preach to a bunch of dyed-in-the-wool, lifelong Presbyterians and say, Repent, you Presbyterians. Repent and become Christians. John says to them, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Do not presume that you are real Jews when you are only Jews in name. Repent and convert. That's an extraordinary message to preach. But I think John understood his audience. There is such a thing as inauthentic religion. Now we don't stand in judgment of one another because no one can read another person's heart. But all of us know that there is real religion and there is fake religion. There is on the one hand saving faith and there is on the other hand all kinds of imitations of faith that form the well-paved, well-traveled road that leads to the pit of hell. If we are messing around with the wrong kind of religion, if we are hiding behind an imitation faith, then we need to change. We need to lay hold of the authentic religion. We need to be converted. That's what John was signaling with his baptism. Dunking people into the moving waters of the Jordan River was a way of signaling that these people were finally becoming Jews. You think you're Jews, he's saying, but your faith has been false. Now repent, change your ways and be baptized as a sign that you're coming to faith. There is, of course, nothing magical about the waters of baptism. The water doesn't actually do anything to us. But baptism is a very public sign of a change that has taken place in our hearts. And being public about what has gone on in private is an essential component of true religion. It is an essential component of preparing for our meeting with Jesus. By being baptized, we publicly profess our faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Everyone who acknowledges me before people, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Baptism is a way, one of many ways... It is a way that we acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord and we acknowledge that in front of other people. There are no secret Christians. You can't just be a Christian in your heart. To be a Christian means that you are out of the closet. To be a Christian means that you let the world know that Jesus is your master. Baptism is one way to do that. Baptism is a way that we acknowledge Christ before the world. Be baptized. Acknowledge Christ. That's part three of John's three-part plan for being prepared to meet Jesus. So, the days dwindle down to a precious few. Fifteen days until Christmas. And God only knows 
how many days before we meet Jesus face to face? Are we ready? Jesus came into this world to be the Savior of sinners. We celebrate his arrival in the Feast of Christmas. He came as a Savior who rescues people who are unable to save themselves. Which is why preparing for Jesus must begin with repenting. Because in repenting we honestly admit that we have a problem that we can't fix ourselves because in repenting we admit that we need a Savior. When we repent and turn to Christ, our hearts will turn as well and our lives will begin to change incrementally. And having repented and come to Jesus, we honor God and we announce that new reality to the world through a public profession of faith. We can do that through baptism. If we've never been baptized before, we can do that in a thousand little ways on a daily basis. Advent is a season of preparation. John the Baptizer preached a three-point preparation sermon. Repent. Change your ways and be baptized. Let us get ready to meet Jesus. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you because you loved us first and you came to find us and to save us. Lord Jesus, we admit that in our own power and in our own strength, we can't even live the kind of lives we want to live, much less live the kind of lives that meet your standards. So, Lord, we confess that we are sinners and that we are broken people. And we ask that you would forgive us of our sins and that you would be our Lord and our Savior. We pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit, begin to change us, turn us around. Give us new desires. Turn us away from wrong desires. And Lord, may that change in our lives prompt us to sing your praises and to let the world know what you've done for us because you are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Amen.